Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for show number 138, brought to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, as well as here with video on YouTube. And this week we are talking ghosts and ghost hunting. Maybe this should be my Halloween episode, but we're doing this a little early uh, because of the timeliness of what happened. I uh, was contacted by a friend in Arizona, uh, who are we, are we are calling Zachary, uh, we are leaving him anonymous, and uh, he claimed, while we were literally talking about other things that we both have mutual interests in, uh, he just dropped a bomb on me one day that, he, that, his ghost, that his house was haunted, and that he had experienced paranormal uh, activity in his home, and that not only had, had he witnessed this in some fashion, but so had his ex-girlfriend, another atheist skeptic friend of his, uh, his his re- former roommates, um, that his house was a nice house, you know, uh, not a bad place, not an old rickety place, pretty new place, uh, but in, in a nice cul-de-sac in a nice neighborhood. And yet he had had this, this paranormal activity occur. And, uh, and the activity being the sort of things like doors slamming, lights going on and off, TV turning off. Um, then uh, his ex-girlfriend having a, a physical phenomenon occurring of feeling like she was being grabbed or, or pinched or something from behind. That was quite wild. And, uh, and not, you know, many other things. To the point where he said that he had actually called paranormal investigators and a psychic in his area and asked them, pleaded with them, to please come and check out what was going on because this was causing uh, stress and, and, and issues with his uh, relationships and uh, could have contributed even to you know, the, the breakup of his, of his relationship and uh, fights with his, that his roommates had experienced. And, uh, and then, of course, his, his skeptic friend who was house-sitting, who apparently, he said, uh, she was there alone house-sitting for him. And she was not there for very long before she ran out of the house, called him, and was like, I am never going back there again. Uh, something's really weird or off in your place, and I'm, I'm very uncomfortable there and freaking out, and that is all I want to do with that. So I heard all this, <laughs> I said, whoa, this is the first time I've ever talked to somebody who was laying down a really serious ghost haunting story, not just a bad, weird vibe or feeling or, or feeling like maybe they weren't alone in the room or something. Uh, the the uh, entirety of my previous experience with ghost hunting, other than feeling like I'd been in places that had weird, icky vibes, was at the Church of Scientology in Santa Barbara. And this is an old hotel. I think they built that building that they are that they are in, or at least used to be in when I worked there. I think they built that building in the 1920s. Pretty old, and it was a hotel. And the story I was told very early on when I first went into the church and started doing classes was that it was haunted. And it was haunted by a guy who had been, who died there. And I don't think he was murdered there. He was, a, apparently the story went that it was an old guy and he had died in one of the small little hotel rooms that they had there, uh, which were now auditing rooms up on the third floor of the building. And that at night you could hear 
his footsteps on the rickety wood floor of the of the landing or the railing uh, walkway up on the third floor because it was an open area. The second floor was open and you could see the, the, the rooms on the third floor and, uh, uh, and, the, and the walkway going around it. So I was told you could hear him walking at night and sometimes you could see a red glow from as though a cigarette at that at, at about mouth level you know of a standing man and uh, and I never saw that but I did hear the footsteps I did hear the creaking footsteps uh, because there was a period of time where I lived in the building and so I took it all in as a matter of course because uh, in Scientology you know if you're going to go all in on believing in a spiritual existence and that we are all spiritual entities called Thetans well, you might as well call them ghosts uh, or spirits, because that is that is the concept: a, a living entity that exists independent of a physical body. So we took ghosts as a matter of course, like, well, sure, you know, of, place, of course, places could be haunted, uh, because a ghost is just a thetan who's hanging out and hasn't gone off to go get another body like he's supposed to. The, you know, the, the implanted, uh, you know, suggestion for all Thetans who live here on Earth and, and, and wherever else maybe, is that when you die, you go and you get a new body. And you do that by going to a hospital where babies are being born or have already been born, and you just assume control of a body. This is called the assumption. Uh, they actually have a name for this, right, in Scientology. And so when you assume a body, and whether you have to, maybe somebody else is trying to assume that body also, and you have to duke it out with them, you know, with some satanic fight or something. Uh, but somehow or another, you get your hands on a body, and then it's yours, and then you, you know, make a little oath to yourself that you're going to take care of it. And, and this is all according to Hubbard. And then you grow the body, and then you pretty much conceive that you are this body. That is what you are. So, uh, so it's not always the case that a person will just flit right off after they die and they'll go pick up another body. Sometimes they hang around for a while. Sometimes they're a lot of despondent. They are stuck in the, you know, the grieving process or loss or, or they don't know what to do. They don't know how to, how to move themselves around spiritually and they don't, and they're stuck there. And of course, they you know get a little pissed off because if you, you know, think of, if you suddenly died and you were stuck in your home or your apartment or your place of work even oh my god or you know some personal location to you where you were not able to interact with others around you uh, that would be frustrating and you might start you know trying to figure out. Uh, like the movie Ghost, right? How do I push things around? How do I how do I communicate? How do I make myself known? Because nobody can see you or hear you or smell you or anything. And this would this would tend to you know after a long time of this, I could imagine why ghosts would want to haunt places and 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 do damage or 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 somehow cause ruckus or cause trouble because they're just trying to be noticed. They just want somebody to say, hey, I see you or I hear you or I'm aware of your presence. Uh, and I have, and in Scientology, there were stories about people who, um, and I ended up doing this myself, who would confront a ghostly Satan, you know, a ghost hanging around and say, go get another body. There's a hospital down the road. 
go get a body. Just beat it. You know, you're, you're bugging everybody here. There's no reason for this. You don't need to be here. If you go get a, just go get a body and then you can interact with everybody and you can move on. It's okay. You know, or maybe uh, they would, you know, sort of forcefully talk to them or maybe try to appeal to them. You know, hey, look, it's over, you know, whatever, whatever sort of telepathic awareness the Scientologist was picking up from the ghost, right, or from this, this disembodied Thetan. Uh, and we usually relied on, like, upper-level Scientologists to do this because they were OT, so they had more, more awareness or, or uh, um, OT powers in this regard. And so they would go and try to take care of the, uh, quote-unquote, take care of the uh, haunting. And I actually even did this one time because I was in that Santa Barbara church. And uh, on the top, on that third floor, there was a women's bathroom and a men's bathroom. And of course, I'd, I'd go into the men's bathroom. But when we did, when we had to do the cleaning stations, I would sometimes have the third floor to clean. And I'd have to go up there and dust. And, and I'd have to go into both bathrooms and change toilet paper, or clean the sinks, that sort of thing. Well, that women's bathroom scared the hell out of me. I have never been in a place that was more creepy for me and and I would never have have been in that room alone with the door closed and the light turned off. There was just no way I was ever going to do that. Uh, I I went in the room a couple times at night into the into the bathroom there to do cleaning and was in there by myself and I just got so creeped out by it. So I kind of knew what that feeling was and one time when I was up there doing that I just got really uh, angry at myself for being scared of something that couldn't hurt me or didn't really have any power or authority over me. And I just said, will you just get out of here and just go get a body? <laughs> Standing in the bathroom talking to myself. So, uh, so that's been some of my backstory uh, in regards to hauntings. And, and I thought it might be interesting to relate some of this in a Scientology context for, for my listeners out there. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a fantastic or weird or supernatural belief. Uh, uh, or it is supernatural, but I mean, it's not weird for Scientologists to acknowledge that ghosts are a thing. Um, I even remember, after I'm sitting here talking about all this and, and, and hearkening back to my childhood and remembering a time that my dad, as a highly trained Scientologist, actually told me one time that there was nothing to fear from ghosts, that they, that they were real, that spirits existed, and that, and that they would hang out sometimes and haunt places. But there was, it was silly because a ghost would... Um, oh, I remember we were watching a scary movie. I think it was called The Changeling with George C. Scott. It was a pretty scary movie, and it had a, it featured a a, a ghost of a uh, a child who had died, mur been murdered, and there the the child was disabled in some fashion and was had a wheelchair, old rickety wooden wheelchair that was stored in the in the um, attic of this of this house. And so this woman somehow during the course of the movie goes up to the attic and there's the chair and it starts moving on its own and it was pretty scary it was a scary movie and um but my dad was amused by it and i think i was you know seven or eight years old watching this thing and he told me there's no reason to be scared of these because people make these movies as though it's really some you know, special phenomenon or special ability that these ghosts have to move objects around 
Well, anybody can move objects around. Look, you got a body. You're moving your body around right now. What's so special about that? Right? And you say, if some ghost is sitting there, you know, moving a table around or moving, you know, objects around, you just pick up the same object and you move it too. You go, hey, you can do that. Well, guess what? So can I. What's the big deal? Right? This was my dad's way of reassuring me that ghosts were not that scary. So, uh, so this was sort of, you know, the backstory to what I grew up with and, and believed in as a Scientologist. After coming out of Scientology, I hadn't really given ghosts a whole lot of thought except to sort of pile it into the, the, the whole bag of, of woo or, or, or unproven, you know, maybe unprovable, I don't know, uh, claims, uh, supernatural claims that people make. And my only level of impatience with that sort of thing is that people, you know, scam other people with these beliefs. And that's where I think that it really takes a, a, a sharp right turn to, into the wrong zone, right? I don't mind if somebody entertains with ghost stories. I certainly am a, I, I, I love good horror movies. Uh, not, not torture porn movies, I mean horror movies, scary movies, right? I really like scary movies. And, uh, and so I think they can be very entertaining and I think they can be fun and, um, and even a little interesting to learn about hauntings and the history of places and the things that go down in, in different parts of the country and reasons why there might be hauntings. Uh, I thought, you know, I was fascinated by the movie Poltergeist growing up. Uh, so I uh, have always had a proclivity to be interested in phenomena that is beyond a normal, uh, paranormal, UFOs. I read tons of books about all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. I'd just spend hours in the library reading ghost haunting stories and UFO stories and alien stories and this sort of thing. So, uh, so always been an interest for me. But after coming out of Scientology, I sort of put all that in a bucket and went, well, that is going to need a bit more proof for me before I'm actually going to be able to really, truly believe that something like that could be real. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't had any experiences of, of creepy vibes or weird feelings or my hair standing on end or anything like that since I've left Scientology and pushed all those beliefs, uh, you know, sort of uh, to the out, out of my head, really. I haven't even pushed them to the back of my brain. I've just said, nah, mm, don't think so. I have noted a few times on my channel in response to people's questions that I have spiritual hopes, not beliefs. And, and, I, and it's sort of a spectrum for me. I, I'm not going to take it all the way to a belief, which is a more certain or solid thinking process. Instead, I'm going to say, well, I have hopes that such things could be real. And if it can be proven to me, I can see it with evidence, then I'd be willing to step forward and maybe make those into those hopes, turn those hopes into actual beliefs where I would say, yes, I believe that this is an accurate reflection of, of reality, that that we have a spiritual existence, that, that, that this is true, um, that there is life beyond our, you know, just the experience that we have in a body. I would love nothing more than to have that proven out to me because I don't like the idea of dying and that being all there is. To me, that is a, a, a that, that fills me with a bit of despair and sadness 
and loss, uh, even though I know in this way of thinking that if I die, well, I won't care anymore because I won't be around to experience it. And I just can't even get my wits around what that, you know, <laughs> what that would feel like because, of course, I wouldn't be there to feel it. I mean, how do you just end? How do you just stop? I, it bothers me a great deal, and this is something I have not come to any comfortable conclusion or uh, feeling of, uh, of satisfaction about at all. So when my friend, and we're going to call him Zachary in the same way that uh, uh, Ross and Carrie in their podcast have, uh, have named my friend Zach, that's not his real name, um, when Zach laid all this on me, I thought, oh wow. This guy's really serious about this. He is freaked out about his own house. His friends are freaked out about it. He's noted, you know, experienceable phenomena. Doors slamming, TVs turning on and off, you know, red eyes hovering in the darkness, he said. You know, it just sounds pretty freaky. It sounds, sounds kind of legit. The way, he's, the way he talked about it certainly made it sound legit. So the first thing I did is I said, whoa, and I got on the horn and I was like, hey, Ross and Carrie, the two people I know who not only investigate things like Scientology, but investigate anything like this. They love this kind of stuff. And this is, of course, Rock Blo Ross Blocker and, uh, or Blotcher and Carrie Poppy from the Oh No, Ross and Carrie podcast, uh, who I consider friends. And I've been on their podcast, they've been on mine, we've discussed Scientology at length. They have done probably the single best expose on Scientology ever by somebody who was never in it uh, because they did something like a nine-part series walking into a Scientology church and doing Scientology services and then reporting on it for months. Uh, so they, I really, and, and they've done many, many kinds of things like that with many different kinds of uh, oddball, strange groups, cults, religious activities, pseudoscientific activities, and they have always stepped up, gone in, done it for real, really tried it out, and then stepped back and said, okay, what just happened to us, right, and sort of talk about it and discuss it on their podcast. Uh, Carrie has even done a, a TED talk about uh, this kind of phenomenon, de debunking ghost, ghostly phenomena specifically. So I thought they would be perfect to contact on this. And I didn't think that they were really going to want to go for a trip to, you know, my friend uh, Zach's place in Arizona, but they were immediately down for it. They were like, oh, hell yes. So. I sent them all the information that he had sent me, and we planned and, and organized uh, a trip down there, which we finally did a couple weeks ago, and we met in Arizona. I had met Ross before in person, but I'd never met Carrie in person. So we all met at the airport, Zach picked us up, and we went back to, we got some food, and then we went back to his place. Now, the this podcast that I'm doing right now, I'm going to go over some things that we did but I'm not trying to do a thorough treatment of every single thing that happened over the weekend because uh, that would be kind of redundant. Ross and Carrie on their podcast this week that they released just a couple days ago, they did a very thorough blow by blow of what we did uh, when we were in Zach's place in order to test and eventually debunk what came up. Um, it was fascinating and very, very, and a lot of fun. Um, and I, I wanted to instead 
talk during this podcast, well, I'll, I'll go over some of those things and some of, the, some of the fun stuff that we did. But I thought also I might talk about some of the lessons that I learned and um, unexpected consequences of the trip. So, uh, of course, going to Arizona, it was very hot and, uh, you know, always going to be that way. Uh, oh, I should, get, I should step back one other point to make about this whole thing is after I had learned, uh, this was months ago that I first learned about Zach's ghost problem and, and set things up with Ross and Carrie, but then I went to Paganicon in Minnesota uh, a couple, well, it was a month, about a month ago, and I did that talk, which I posted on my channel, but it was a full weekend of seminars and workshops from pagans in the pagan community. And of course, there was a ghost hunting seminar. Now, I don't think they, uh, she, the, the woman who put the seminar on was apparently a ghost hunter. This was a woman who, that's what she did for her living or a major part of her life as a hobby. And so she spoke from a position of authority, quote unquote, about how to go about doing ghost hunting. So I thought, oh, well, this is one I definitely got to attend. And in that, in that seminar, I saw a lot of the tools of the trade of ghost hunting. And she said that they didn't call it ghost hunting. They called it more like ghost communicating or something because the effort on the, on the part of the pagan community, or at least her effort uh, with it, was to, was to be in, in communication with these spiritual entities and perhaps learn from them or perhaps interact with them in some fashion or maybe bring them some you know, level of peace or something. I'm really not, not quite totally sure what, what, it, what it was they expected to get out of that, but it was not um, a matter of going and, and challenging or confronting these spirits in a hostile way or something like that. But in order to detail, oh, and, and I, th I think it was mostly along the line of learning from them, asking questions, you know, deriving answers from them that might be able to help us in the, in the real world or physical world uh, to, you know, live our lives better or something. So, so she had these various instruments laid out and um, I sent pictures of all of them to Ross and, uh, and then he ended up actually, you know, bringing a whole gaggle of, of, of equipment along, which was kind of fun. Um, they, let's see here, some of the tools that they brought were an EMF meter to detect electromagnetic anomalies. Uh, they had an infrared camera, infrared flashlight, uh, which was weird because you turn it on and you'd flash it and you wouldn't see anything. But if you looked through, you know, infrared goggles, you could see it like a light. It was weird. Uh, then they had, a, we had a motion activated trail camera, as in like a camera that you would use on an animal trail. Uh, and it was, uh, and it was set up, so you had night vision. And you could, it was like, a, it looked like a box with a little lens sticking out of it. And you could stick this thing out on a trail uh, where you suspected animals would walk and, and see where they, you know, and, and get feedback. And then you could I guess hunting uh, or trying to get rid of uh, predatory animals or animals that are coming along and you know, I don't know, maybe a farm or something. Anyway, we brought, uh, Ross brought one of those along with. Also brought a cross, uh, as in a Christian cross, and a dowsing rods. I, I've never actually had my hands on dowsing rods before. I, I gave those a go while we were there and a pendulum, and one thing I thought was particularly clever that I tried to bring but could, act, could not find um, 
from which I learned at the Paganicon seminar was they there's these little cat toys that are balls that if they move they light up so they become motion detectors themselves because if the balls light up if you just put them on a floor put them in an area where you expect there to be some kind of you know paranormal activity and they move whoa you know how would they move on a on a on a still floor in the middle of the night sort of thing well i went around to a couple different places uh here in town before i left to try to find these glowing uh cat balls and uh did not succeed at that ironically we met up on friday the 13th <laughs> in phoenix and uh and we went down and uh discussed right away we were getting right into the case with with Zach, and right, and also right away, once he started talking about, you know, from this new place and time about his experiences, there were differences in his story, and it was immediately apparent to me. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting, because he was, re you know, he was. I, I didn't get that he was being deceptive. I did not get that at all, and I didn't get that he was. Uh, you know, like he'd manufactured, I didn't think that he had manufactured some story to make it sound interesting to me. He, he had only told me about this whole thing in the first place because I had, you know, kind of pulled it out of him. And he just sort of casually mentioned this and said, oh, I'll have to tell you about this one day. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, you're going to tell me about that right now. <laughs> I want to know about this haunting. So that's how that even came to me in the first place. So... Then, when he started recounting from memory, you know, the things that he thought had happened and what and, and who it had happened to and what sequence things happened in and what happened exactly, I noted that they were different from his earlier message to, messages to me, which I had passed on to Ross and Carrie. Well, Carrie's great because she pulled out her notebook and started immediately noting down everything he was saying. And we got, uh, you know, the story in a, in a sort of a new unit of time. Uh, and... And it was, you know, there were some flaws in it. There were some things that were like, hmm, that doesn't quite make sense. Well, we went to his, then journeyed to his home, and we uh, stayed up pretty late that first night uh, looking at uh, various things. And also, I found in discussing the whole thing with him and with Ross and Carrie there, um, how little he had followed up on some things that I thought were odd. Uh, he mentioned, for example, waking up one night in bed in terror with his girl, then-girlfriend and seeing some black shape uh, in the darkness over their bed, as though he described it like a Rorschach, uh, if I'm saying that right, or Rorschach, or however you say that, a blot, you know, like an ink blot. It was just this, you know, grainy, weird thing floating over his, over his bed. Uh, and they couldn't move, which I immediately connected with uh, sleep paralysis, um, but he had not. But they, they couldn't move. They were stuck there staring at this black thing. And then somehow enough time passed, five minutes or something, it's a little hard to, to say. And they somehow got up or it, it, it dissipated or something changed. And they ended up going into the living room, which is really the next room over from, from his bedroom. And sleeping on the on the on the, the the couch out there, and I thought, uh, you know, really, you, you just got up and you went in the other room, and there was this like black, inky shape 
floating in the air above you and that, that was it? You just got up and went in the other room and fell asleep? Like, I, I, I couldn't quite, um, you know, get, get how, I, I thought, okay, all right, you know, it's not how I would have handled things, but fair enough, right? Uh, then there were pictures uh, that were supposed to have been taken of this ghost in the living room, and we asked for the pictures, he couldn't find them, oh, I'll have to go through, you know, all 10,000 gigabytes of, of photos that I have on my computer to find them, and I, again, I thought, really? You have pictures of a ghost in your living room and it's going to take you a little while to find them? All right. I mean, I, you know, I, I would have thought they would have been all front and center and ready to roll, with, especially with us coming out there. Eventually, you know, by, by Saturday, we, we got those pictures because we showed up there on Friday night. And, uh, and we eventually found, you know, big spoiler here, that there were blue orbs or dots uh, showing up on the screen. He had described the pictures very differently from how they actually looked. He described them as having a ghostly image standing in the living room right next to where his TV is located. So you have the couch, then you have the TV, and there would be this ghost there, right there in the living room. And that's where we stayed. Ross slept on the couch, I slept on a cot. They're right there within feet of, of this location. And on the first night of of course, we didn't experience anything. We had the EMF meters out. We had the infrared cameras out. We had the motion cameras out. We had everything, uh, you know, set on this spot and generally around the house. It was funny because when I first walked in the house, I had my ghost sensor, you know, if I have any ESP of any kind, I had it on full. I had it up to 11, you know. I wanted to sense this thing if it was there. And I was honestly disappointed that I felt nothing walking into the house. It was a beautiful house uh, on in a cul-de-sac in a very nice area. And uh, I was just, yeah, I got nothing here. I'm not feeling any spooky vibe of any kind. I have no problem standing here in the dark looking around. Uh, nothing. Anyway, so we proceeded to try to test some things out, and as Ross and Carrie have laid out in their podcast, we, uh, we were pretty thorough in checking all this out. Now, on Saturday, like I said, we, got, we finally got these pictures, and we uh, immediately saw that it, looked, that it appeared that these were camera artifacts, uh, photo photographic artifacts of some kind, whether it was something caused internally by the by the camera taking a picture in the dark because the the the, the photographs were taken it when in very low light which can really throw off cameras uh, or perhaps it was what we were seeing because the the way the the photos were represented to us is that these were still shots from a continuous video segment so these blue images only came into the frame for one or two frames. This was not a continuous video shot of a ghostly figure standing by the TV. This was a, you know, blip blip of these dots that his friend, apparently when this video was being taken, Zach's friend was watching the, a live stream of this video feed and noted that these blue dots had appeared and somehow this was interpreted to be this ghostly figure. So we saw that, you know, it could have had some very easily explained 
uh, some easy explanations and we proceeded to reproduce what we thought it was and it took us a little while but we did reproduce it and we reproduced it to his satisfaction not ours uh, and that was important for what we were doing we were also while i was there having a few conversations with zach about critical thinking and the, the, the critical thinking process and, and, and how one assesses information. And I think, uh, I think that was good uh, to have as well. It's not that I'm not trying to imply that, that Zach is stupid or, or in any way ignorant of things or uh, you know, was flying off the handle or something. He's a really good guy, super nice. But you know, he wasn't really applying critical thinking to the evidence that he was showing us. Uh, and there was a lot of reasons for that, and that was kind of what I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about here, was some of my conclusions and ideas from the experience. Um, I, I was, again, like I said, I was disappointed that there was no presence there. I was paying a lot of attention both nights. We were up late uh, on Friday night and on Saturday night trying to, you know, figure out what was what taking every single part of his story and uh, every single piece of physical evidence we could find and breaking it down and looking at, you know, what, what other things besides ghosts could explain what we're being told or what, what, you know, Zach had experienced. And we, you know, fairly easily came up with uh, explanations for all of this, including the physical evidence. And it, and it lent me to see like in real time, the power of suggestion. Um, and also, and this was probably the, the most important thing, because I, yeah, I did not know going into this that uh, carbon monoxide poisoning can cause all kinds of problems with a person uh, that will then be interpreted to be perhaps a haunting. You know, pressures and maybe hallucinations and all kinds of issues. This was something Carrie had had experience with because she had been in a home or an apartment that had had carbon monoxide poisoning and she had been experiencing all kinds of supernatural phenomena that she did not have any explanation for until it was discovered um, through some kind of happenstance. I can't remember exactly how, but it was discovered that there was a carbon monoxide leak in her apartment and she was being poisoned. And of course, once that was fixed, she could breathe again normally and she could, you know, live her life normally in her own apartment. And all this supernatural phenomena suddenly was not there anymore. It was all gone. Uh, so that was, you know, uh, again, not, it, was, it was something that you never hear. I mean, I checked out Ghost Hunters and did a little bit of research before I started talking today. And, you know, these guys go in with the same level of equipment that we came in there with, with a lot of unwarranted assumptions about why this equipment is even necessary in the first place. Because if you, if you think about it, hauntings occur and are reported on by people who are not standing in dark rooms with EMF meters looking to see whether there are electromagnetic signals making their EMF meters go off. That's what the ghost hunters come in and bring to the picture. The people who report hauntings are reporting actual physical phenomena that should, if it's a haunting from a spirit who's living there, it should, and it happens repeatedly while the resident of the place is living there, then it should continue to happen, one would think, uh, if it's being recorded 
or if uh, some other non-resident comes into the place and hangs out for a while to see what this is all about. I mean, theoretically, the ghost could go hide, like my cat Seven does <laughs> every time somebody comes around. You can't find Seven at all. He's hiding in the bathtub. So perhaps ghosts do that too, you know, but, uh, but my point is that you don't need all these weird gadgets and, and, and uh, gimmicks to uh, detect a ghost. Uh, haunting is usually very obvious. Uh, you know, if I were to go in there and, and hear voices or see red eyes floating in the air or see ghostly images or something through a regular camera, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be like, wow, okay, I'm, something's going on here. This is, this is awesome. But there was none of that. So anyway, um, you know, so the ghost hunters come in there with all that, all that equipment and everything. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of expectation and a lot of suggestion that's going on in terms of interpreting what you're seeing. And the critical thinking lesson here for me was about the carbon monoxide poisoning was that was not something I was aware of. And I have yet to see, now I didn't watch all, you know, 13 years worth of, uh, or 12 or how many years it was, of Ghost Hunters or any of these shows. I've, I've peered in on them every now and again and always find them to be completely ridiculous because there's just people standing around in the dark talking to one another uh, or talking to themselves. <laughs> but I've never heard of them testing for carbon monoxide leaks. And that's just one thing. You know, there's so many natural phenomena and other electrical phenomena or the wind or um, plumbing phenomena even. I mean, here's the funny thing is, you know, the ghost hunters are a couple plumbers and I don't know that they've ever gone and checked the pipes <laughs> for, you know, these places they go visit. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, talking from ignorance a little bit because, like I said, I've not watched a lot of those shows. Um, but I, I am aware of their testing procedures and their, their ghost detection equipment, and it doesn't include carbon monoxide leak detectors or, uh, you know, things that might look for more natural explanations of what's going on. So that was the first thing I learned, is that uh, not about carbon monoxide. Here's the actual point on critical thinking, is when you're ignorant of something, when you just don't know about it, when it's not in your toolkit, when it's not something you can remember ever learning about, or you don't have it at the forefront of your knowledge, then it will never occur to you that, that, that the explanation for some phenomena could be that thing you're ignorant of. If you don't know about carbon monoxide poisoning, you'll never look for carbon monoxide poisoning as a reason why you might be experiencing physical and paranormal activity. And yet, that, was, that is very much an explanation for both of those things. So, it, it's, it's, it's just so important to think outside your box when you're looking at how or why something fantastic or unusual or weird or paranormal, uh, why would such a thing be occurring? Well, you got to start thinking, what do I not know that, that could explain this? Rather than always interpreting the events of your life or the events, of, events around you within your, your knowledge base, because your knowledge base might be too limited to actually explain what's going on, and so you will then default to some crazy explanation or, let's say, unusual explanation, because that's all you've got 
to think of or think with. That is, that's a point of critical thinking, uh, is being critical of yourself and your own knowledge base and seeking reasons or explanations beyond what you know. So, okay, so that was, uh, that was really important. Also, uh, during the, uh, the events of the weekend, I also, watching Zach as his, you know, the explanations he gave me when we first started talking, the explanations he gave all of us when we were there, how the stories, the details changed, sometimes insignificantly, sometimes pretty significantly. Some of the details he left out, like his, uh, he mentioned that he, one of his friends had been house-sitting and she was a skeptic. He stressed, she's an atheist, she's skeptical, she's a critical thinker, and she was in my place and she ran out of the house screaming because she said doors were slamming or something and she and the TV turned itself off. Well, that sounds pretty legit. You go, wow, a skeptic. I'd like to talk to her. I'd like to find out what she had to say. Well, we couldn't get her on the horn right away. That was a little bit odd. And then it comes out when we get there, oh yeah, she was high at the time. <laughs> we all just looked at each other and went, she was what? <laughs> she, she, was, she was smoking pot, right? Now, pot's not necessarily a hallucinogen. You're not going to necessarily see things that aren't there when you're smoking pot, uh, but it has happened. Um, you know, not the same degree as it does when you're, you know, drop some acid or something. But this is something that, you know, you have to control for. I mean, this would be an important piece of information as to whether you would believe or not believe somebody's story about paranormal activity. Oh, well, I was, I, you know, I forgot to mention I was high at the time that that happened. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. But the chances of it having a maybe perhaps non-paranormal explanation go up a little bit if you realize that the person who's relating this story to you was not really fully cognizant and fully, you know, in, in, in possession of their faculties at the time that that happened. This is, this is something you'd think would be kind of important to get across. But... Zach had totally nullified the importance of that piece of information because he uh, already had a bias to believe that there was something weird going on in his house. And therefore, everything that he hears or sees or experiences in relation to his house is filtered through this paranormal lens of interpreting the events in the most paranormal way possible. And this is important because this is how we view the world. And all of us do this, uh, not necessarily with paranormal activity, but with our biases and prejudices. So, of course, those also apply even more so, even more stringently, when you're trying to debunk something that, you know, these, these kinds of paranormal claims. Um, and it makes it difficult for the person who's biased or who is already under this kind of suggestion of, or, or interpretation of their events, it makes it really harder, much more harder for that person especially to step back and push all that aside and maybe look at, well, what else could be going on here or what other explanations could be going on? Because if you're going to prove, if you're going to make claims about paranormal activity, 
okay, you might have reason A, B, and C, but if you're going to go in and actually say, well, this is really true, I really have a spirit in my house and he's really haunting me, uh, then there needs to be more than somebody who smoked pot saying that they saw something. <laughs> That's, you know, you need to really, you know, buckle down and, and get serious about figuring out what's, what, what else could be going on. All right. Um, and then the other thing, of course, uh, to this is that the whole experience also was an object lesson in not necessarily believing uh, memory the, and, and the power of suggestion on memory and on what a person will choose to believe, what kind of things a person will prioritize in those memories, what, what parts of the experience they hold on to and what parts they let go of or forget about or don't think are important. And so those, those parts tend to fade from memory. You know, memory is a, it's horrifically uh, unreliable in so many ways. And if you talk to any law enforcement officer uh, who has ever done interviews at an accident scene or tried to get witness statements and then compare notes between them, you, they'll tell you, you know, 10 out of 10 times that memory is not so great all the time. And this is why physical evidence, uh, you know, of these kinds of claims are so necessary. Uh, and, and, it, and really, it's a lesson for us all because if if you think something weird is going on then take steps to try to find evidence of said thing happening right camera work pictures or physical evidence uh you know if, if, if <laughs> ectoplasm <laughs> i love ross and carrie in their podcast they talked about how Somebody had thought that there was uh, at another another haunting, not Zach's place. There was uh, they, they, there was this liquid pooling in the center of the room, and it didn't make any sense. And the person couldn't figure out, and they thought it was ectoplasm from the you know, which is the leftover remains, uh, slimy bits left over when there is a uh, some sort of interdimensional break or 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 bursting through or something from one plane to another. Uh, this is famously shown in Ghostbusters with all the drippy, gooey, snotty-looking crap. Uh, well, it turned out, no, it was just refrigerator fluid licking from the refrigerator and, and pooling in the center of the room. And the person hadn't noticed uh, the, the, the very, very, very light trail that had been left behind from this uh, refrigerator. I think it was coolant or, or some kind of liquid coming out of the fridge. Uh, and so they, again, had interpreted, they, they correctly observed a thing happening and had physical evidence of it, uh, but didn't follow through then to, you know, see, well, what other explanations besides ectoplasm could be applied to this, you know, this goo sitting in the center of their room. So anyway, so phys getting physical evidence at all is very, very important because memories can be very, very flighty and uh, sort of uh, gossamer-like in their, in their solidity. Uh, but physical evidence lasts. It's something you can hold on to, you can test, you can do something with. And, uh, and then even when you get physical evidence, you know, you got to bring like two, three, four other people in on, on stuff like this. This is why trained experts uh, and authorities are really important because they know things you don't know, you know. 
And, uh, and that can, that's only helpful when you're looking for explanations for something. Which leads me to my last point uh, of the podcast here this week on my whole ghost hunting expedition and the, and the fun I had. And I think I mentioned this in one of my Q&As recently. I did not expect the, 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 the final consequence or the final result of, of our weekend was debunking the ghostly phenomena and the relief that Zach felt as a result of our debunking. Um, we went over every single said every single point we went over with him, got his agreement on it. We weren't browbeating him or forcing him into our way of thinking. We were asking him very openly, do you see this? What do you think? Well, how does this compare with the picture you showed us? Okay, and then well, what about this? Okay, good. The EMF thing where we debunked it by turning, you know, he had a he had an electronic uh, bed and, and he had had some ghost hunters come in there with EMF detectors in his bedroom and they, the EMF detectors were going off. Well, the ghost hunters who had come before, the paranormal investigators hadn't asked them the simple question, is your bed powered? Is there any electricity connected to your bed at all? When, he, when we asked, he said, yes, there is, and he turned it off. Suddenly there was no EMF activity anymore in his bedroom. Duh. So, you know, it, it requires that sort of thing. Um, so he wasn't really thinking super critically about this whole thing, but he had bought into this was the, the only explanation for all this strange phenomena. So when we went through all it with him and broke it all down, he, we made sure to get his voluntary agreement that, you know, that with each point of debunk so that he could see it was debunked. And as a result, he, you could almost see the stress falling away from him when we were doing this because he didn't really want his place to be haunted. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to serve him in any way. He wasn't going to start doing ghost tours out of his house or something. In other words, he had no vested interest in this having to be the explanation. He just didn't have any other explanation for what was going on because his, his skill set and his, his knowledge base did not include looking into the things that we brought in when we came in. So, uh, and apparently when he had some other paranormal investigators come in, they had a vested interest in proving that this indeed was a haunting. And so they didn't ask any critical questions that, that would debunk their vested interest. So, you know, so there was another critical thinking lesson there in that, you know, objectivity is really important. And if you have a vested interest in something being true, then, you know, you're going to see and filter everything you see through 99% of what you see is going to somehow reinforce your vested interest rather than disprove it. Anyway, he had been so concerned and so worked up about all of this that when we finally got him to see that none of the things he thought were supernormal, paranormal activity were in fact paranormal activity, that, that none of it had been that way, all of it had a very easy and simple explanation, he chilled out so much. He had assigned this haunting to uh, part of the reason why he'd broken up with his ex, why other people who came into his house had a hard time sometimes or freaked out about things. He assigned it all to this, this other, you know, supernatural entity uh, influencing people's minds and hearts somehow. And then he suddenly saw, oh yeah, no, that explanation didn't fit 
any of the evidence, uh, didn't have any real, there was, there was no reason to continue to believe this, and so he could reassign you know, the causative agents of all of these different things to something a lot more mundane and a lot more normal. And, it, and, it, and it, for him, in this case, at this place, in this time, it, it managed to um, make life a lot easier and a lot more livable for him uh, to not have that so, uh, as part of his life. So he, I did not see that coming at all when we went out there. I thought, you know, I was hoping we'd actually find something that would be able to allow me to take my hopes and move them up to beliefs. So if anything, I went in there with a little bit of a vested interest in wanting there, in wanting to see or, or experience something supernatural. And right away, of course, I, I, you know, I, I saw and felt nothing and knew, mm, you know, I, I felt, mm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it here. And then as we went through the, the contradictions in his story and the changes in the story, and as we started piecing things together and then the physical evidence fell apart, it, you know, it was just very, very clear that there was no, nothing going on there. All right, so uh, I've had a lot of fun relating all of this to you guys. I hope you've had a little bit of fun listening to all of it. And I hope somehow through some of the lessons I learned, maybe some of those might be useful to you too. Uh, if, you know, if not, then, uh, then whatever. But <laughs> uh, at least it was a good time uh, had by all to a very positive result. Any feedback you might have, good, bad, or sideways on my whole story and experience here, go ahead and leave it in the comments section of my YouTube video on my YouTube channel or at sensiblyspeaking.com where you can leave comments. If you haven't rated my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, please do so. I would appreciate positive reviews of my podcast whenever possible. Uh, and please do share, like and share this around the interwebs. And finally, if uh, you feel that my channel is worth supporting, please do go ahead and sign up on Patreon uh, because it is you guys who allow me to go do things like this. And I think that, you know, stuff like this is just a, uh, just a gaggle of fun. And I'd love to be able to do more things like this. And it is only your support that allows me to do it. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for uh, those who have signed up on Patreon or who have otherwise donated through PayPal. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Bye-bye.